Hello, my name is John Brink and we are podcasting from Prince George and this is one of our new shows on, on the Brink. It is BC Forest Industry in Transition. And with all the things going on in the forest industry in British Columbia, I thought we'd do this one on a weekly basis. Uh, our first guest is Bob Schutz. He is the CEO of Industrial Forest Service. Uh, a person that has been in this industry for a long time, has been involved in many, many of the other issues around the forest industry, and I'll introduce you to him, Rob Schutz. Hi, John. Nice to be here uh, visiting with you again this place. Thank you. Uh, Grace to be here. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks. And uh, I guess the, part of the reason I wanted to come, uh, and when you sent out the invitation was, um, you know, my background and our company's background, we do a lot of forestry work in the BC interior. How long have you been uh, in business here? Well, our company is 1952, yeah. uh, but I, I came in 88, so about 33, 34 years. It's a long established company, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we grew up uh, as you know with the BC Interior. You know, the first pulp mills we had a hand in doing yeah. a lot of the forestry planning. Yeah, um, and uh, and it kind of evolved from there. Uh, at, at various times, we were up to about 160 people. Right now, maybe 100, 105 Which people. Which still makes you yeah. one of the larger and uh, uh, forest service consulting companies. firms in the province. Yeah, but it's, it's evolved quite a bit. You know, yeah. at various times it was a lot of more field work, then it evolved to uh, um, photogrammetry, uh, you know, a lot of GIS people yeah. for a while. The nursery's still a big uh, motivator for the company. Um, we grow about 20 million seedlings per year. 20 million seedlings. So, yeah, so that, yeah, that uh, keeps uh, quite, quite a few people busy over the years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the and the reason that we grow so many seedlings, for every one tree we cut, we plant three, right? Yeah, actually it's even increasing, you know, yeah. we, uh, over the last few years we've seen the harvest levels decrease, the amount of area has decreased significantly, Yeah. but the amount of seedlings we've uh, been planting provincially is, is almost 40% uh, more over the last bunch of years. So That's uh, the future of the industry, right? Well, really? yeah, it, it, it uh, sustains the industry and, and uh, uh, will, will sustain it in the future. So, so a lot of people asking the question now, is this sustainable, the industry, or will it all disappear? I said, no, it's sustainable. We, the annual allowable cut is lower, and we'll talk about that in a minute for a, a number of reasons. The reason that I have you, uh, like you so much as, uh, uh, you know, uh, as somebody that knows the industry because you've been involved not only on a regional or provincial basis, but also you've been a critical element of writing reports and assisting government in determining issues around old growth and a number of other areas in terms of sustainability of the forest industry. I know you've done a number of reports with other experts like Jim Chauvin. I see your name all over the, the industry in terms of having knowledge in a whole lot of areas. Yeah, well, and that was part of the reason we're kind of talking today and, and my interest was, uh, you know, about a year ago, the government, a little over a year ago, the government came out with their intentions paper uh, for the BC forest industry looking forward. Uh, and in, in that paper, they identified about three or four critical uh, new initiatives that they were modernizing, modernizing it. Yeah, okay. you know, one of them was old growth and old growth preservation, uh, First Nations and you know, the reallocation of, of uh, harvesting rights to First Nations. 
Uh, and then value and sharing added. of revenue too, right? Sharing of revenue, correct. Yeah. So when that when that came out, we uh, uh, and I worked collaboratively with the Pulp and Paper and uh, Coalition. Jim Gervan was heavily involved. We uh, we had some contracts with the Council of Forest Industries on quantifying what the impact of old growth preservation would be on the forest industry. And right. I think uh, that, I don't think that ever went public, but uh, it was uh, fairly significant as far as, you know, conserving uh, about uh, 3.5 million hectares of which around 1.3 million, I'm going back a little bit. Quite time. controversial in yeah. a way, right? Or yeah, 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 and it's still evolving, but uh, you know, the impact of old growth preservation on BC, you know, uh, if everything was preserved the way the government would like, and and as First Nations then would approve, it would be a roughly about a six or seven percent re reduction in the allowable cut. Quite quite significant. Yeah. The the thing I just want to quickly talk about that a little bit. I don't know all that much about it, other than what you said. The uh, old growth recommendation and was implemented is still a work in progress work in a progress. bit. Yeah. But I'm personally. Uh, uh, yeah, I love the forest industry. I love all the things, not all the things that we do, but uh, you know, the potential of what we are doing. But I believe in the old growth and what I'm always rely looking at is old growth, these ancient trees that have grown there for a thousand years or so, or, or number of, and, yeah. and to you know, cut those on, uh, over and knock them down. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> well, I, neither am I, but uh, uh, in certain situations, but a lot of times when you look at the maps that were produced, some of these old growth stands were, were still, you know, old decadent balsam fir that was falling down and, you right. know, and, and old growth in pine stands, it, you know, pine is, is you know, naturally, uh, um, you know, they, they grow as a result of wildfire. So it's yeah. kind of rare to have 200 year old pine stands. Yeah. And if they do grow to that age, they're going to eventually burn. And yeah. uh, and so, you know, the philosophy in the past has been, well, instead of uh, burn, allowing it to burn, we'll log it. And, uh, and we, you know, when we've built a, an industry and an economy around that for the last hundred years, uh, be, you know, forestry has been the mainstay for the province. Now, talking about uh, burning, uh, you know, in, in a way, I sometimes, and, and again, thinking on my, you know, I'm not the expert in that field, but thinking that we become so efficient that anytime there is a natural fire, you know, through lightning, government, uh, uh, nature was able to kind of take care of that. But these days, we, yeah. as soon as we got a fire, we got planes on top of yeah, it. And yeah, putting yeah. Our, and, and might, that might have been one of the reasons, probably yeah. one of the reasons for the mountain pine beetle epidemic. Right. We, you know, stopped logging in Tweedsmere Park, the uh, mountain yeah. pine beetle kind of exploded. And we had probably more old timber as a result of fire preservation or uh, prevention uh, than we had in the past because right. of fire protection. And so, uh, there was a, a large uh, inventory of older trees that the beetle attacked. But, you know, looking forward, though, that's where you know, my interest is, is really most of the work we've been doing is forecasting, you know, uh, and, and we've, we have this for various clients, you know, you know pulp, uh, pulp mill closures or sawmill closures. Yeah. And, and as you see the, you know, the annual allowable cut decline it was it's simply simple economics it's supply and demand as the log supply declines the um, you know the demand has to drop down so uh, so it's in in parity 
and so you'll have additional sawmill closures. But your your business is also value added, and you yeah. rely on sawmills. Can, can I ask you one thing though before we start on yeah. value added? Is that for the public in general as well? And if you're talking about the annual allowable cut, what really does that mean? The annual allowable cut, other than the obvious. Well, it sets the, the volume of saw logs that can be harvested from a forest management unit, so from a specific geographic area, and those areas can range from you know, uh, you know, a couple thousand hectares to several million hectares. And so it'll, it'll set the, the limit on how many saw logs can be removed from that geographic area on an annual basis, but there's a bunch of regulations that allow it to go up or down above that number as long as the five-year average is within that, uh, with, you know, very close to the annual level cut. And that keeps it sustainable in yeah. the long term? Well, it's, the sustainable is kind of a, you know, when the mountain pine beetle uh, attacked it was you know the uh, allowable annual allowable cut was set but that wasn't sustainable it was set really high to salvage the trees before they fell over or they burnt that so, deficit is yeah, the pine beetle so, so now it's, it's dropping and most of the forest management units has declined to what we call a midterm harvest level right um, which it should stay fairly sustainable for the next 50 years yeah. And then it'll, then you'll see significant increases because in the interior because you'll be harvesting the second growth stands, right. which are, are typically uh, higher density, you know, uh, better stock, uh, faster growing stands, uh, and they're and they've been planted, you know, even you know fairly evenly spaced. They're not plantations the way, you know, you see in uh, Central America where every tree is no, evenly no. displaced. You still have deciduous and yeah. and probably more deciduous coming up now because of the uh, uh, constraints on on herbicide spraying. So, so if people talk about the midterm. At build the annual allowable cut, which maybe was at 60 million cubic meters annually, has now dropped to 45 yeah. in that area, million cubic meters. Is that called the midterm? That's the midterm. And yes. the midterm could well be 40, 30, 40, 50 years? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. then gradually, maybe already in 30 years, because I'm kind of thinking we had a beetle attack on the Barham area in the early 80s that was 40 years ago. Yeah. The last time I'm, I love to go down there because I go through that and I still saw it as a clear cut, but uh, it's amazing how everything has already come back. Yeah, and I know the you know the a few of the pulp mill companies have expressed interest in in you know entering some of those stands and just thinning them, you know, because they're fairly dense stands and if they take uh, uh, um, you know, every second tree or something like that. You know, a lot of those trees are going to uh, thin off naturally. So if they could, uh, you know, harvest those ones and leave the the others, the other ones will become nicer saw logs, and uh, and the pulp mills will have a you know additional uh, chip supply to sustain is, them. Is the point then, Ray, uh, Rob? Sorry, is the is the point then, Rob, that uh, you know that that the better we manage the new growth coming in over that cycle, the likelihood is that we'll grow or produce more 
volume per hectare than it would have left if he just kind of left it this way? Well, it, Intensive management. Yeah, I mean. it's not so much intensity. Even just ba our basic management will yeah. result in significantly better... Thinning and... Uh, well, not even thinning, just the planting of, okay. of the trees that uh, are grown, like the nurseries uh, producing trees, um, you know, for, for replanting today right. uh, are, are, you know, the best, you know, they're, they're, they're grown using seed from seed orchards that are, the, you know, the best of the best trees. And so right. on average, you're going to achieve probably anywhere from, um, you know, 20 to 50 percent more volume than if it was just a mm. natural stand that, wow. that was uh, uh, left to uh, regenerate naturally. Right. Um, you know, it depends a little bit on, on if it's pine versus spruce versus fir, but uh, the expectation is a significantly more volume in, in what we call managed stands than in uh, unmanaged stands. Right. So what I'm hearing you say then is that right now we're pretty much to a sustainable level once we sort out the old growth uh, deferrals and, and some of the other things, and then we will kind of coast along and then gradually, as we reach 30, 40, 50 years, we should be back up to levels that we were before. Well, you said, again, sustainable. And uh, um, in the midterm, you know, we always thought that around 2024, 2025, uh, we'd be at the sustainable level. Right. As a result of, uh, you know, the intentions paper and this evolution with respect to old growth deferrals, which will take probably 10 years to ratchet through the system and uh, First Nations reallocation and what will First Nations do when they have their uh, their new forest area-based tenures? Will they be more conservative or more liberal with respect to forest management? That remains to be seen. So, the you know the definition of midterm is a little bit subjective. Now, there's you know even caribou habitat. You know what are we going to do with respect to that? And and it's, most of these things are downward pressures. Yeah. Uh, you know carbon capture. Um, you know a few other things like that yeah. um, are, are putting pressure on what we. We believed was the midterm, and so as and as a result, are those political or are uh, those a lot of federal? those are those are well a combination political. You know, there's also on a political basis the First Nations, the old growth, the yeah. you know the pressures from the various environmental groups. Uh, uh, those are all political pressures, right. you know. But at the same time, you have uh, other issues. You got the mountain pine, you know. You got the spruce beetle epidemic that we're kind of dealing with now. We had it in the early '80s, yeah. then, and the Mackenzie yeah. TSA, and coming through the east. How, how severe is that? Is it? Uh... Um, well, they just did an analysis for the Mackenzie timber supply area, and it uh, they it didn't didn't seem too bad. It wasn't nearly as bad as we expected, but yeah. the, uh, Prince George was scary, it, though. Yeah, yeah, and then they're still recouping or still harvesting a lot of the dead spruce. Yeah, but wildfires is another big thing. You know, yeah. they've uh, you know. Uh, still have to factor in the wildfires from 2021 into uh, into the midterm. Yeah. So that will all push the you know that 40 you know 40 45 million down further, and all of that is putting a lot of pressure on the, the remaining sawmills. So it, just wanted for again for the for the benefit of uh, the people that are watching us. So that is the provincial. And, and, and AAC annual allowable cut, but then it's all divided into certain areas. We got the Prince George TSA, then north of that we got the Mackenzie, the lakes, uh, and then the very far yeah. north, and then from here on south. So yeah. Each group, uh, each area 
has uh, its own harvest level. Yeah. yeah. And, and within those areas, um, likelihood will be that, let's say, for the Prince George timber supply area, the Clayley Tanay recently was awarded a huge uh, First Nations woodland license yeah. where that area will be exclu- you know, removed from the Prince George timber supply area. Yeah. They'll have their own annual level cut set for that geographic area. Yeah. And, and their management of that area you know, and how they will manage it, whether it'll be more you know, similar to how the BC government managed forestry or, uh, or or they'll take a different route that remains to be seen yeah. so it lends itself to a lot of uncertainty for yeah. um, you know and, and uh, you know there's a lot of talk uh, you know why are you know why are the BC forest companies not reinvesting into British Columbia right. why are they taking their money to the US well yeah. it's all of these uncertainties you know uh, that we've just discussed uh, and especially the public companies yeah. right that uh, you know where the CEOs of those companies uh, are uh, accountable to their board of directors yeah, yeah. and uh, and have to show performance. If they don't, they're gone, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, and to have uh, uh, most businesses are like that. They need an element of certainty, and yeah. uh, and a lot of these other ones that we refer to uh, add uncertainty as you go forward. Yeah. Up to thirty-five sawmills have shut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and a few more recently have four been, or five uh, maybe to go. Well, and, and you know, the maybe now that you know, you won't see as many sawmill closures, but the removal of the third shift, which is like uh, uh, removing thirty-three percent. Right? Uh, well, not curtailments, but just you know, most of the sawmills uh, operated three shifts. Yeah. So you go down to two shifts. That's still a third of the workforce gone yeah. for those those mills. Yeah. And as a result of that, you're seeing fewer pulp chips. Yeah. And uh, and so the curtailments with the pulp mills, you know, yeah. Intercon and Prince George, Caribou Pulp and Quenelle. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Powell River uh, uh, closed uh, about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, Crofton um, is probably Crofton. A, fu- a function of uh, chip supply as well. Yeah. So so all of those are putting pressure on uh, on uh, investment. And meanwhile, in the U.S. Southeast. There's, uh, you know, there's more wood than uh, than you can shake a stick at, uh, yeah. and, and that's, that's why the investment's been down there. Yeah, and still, still is right yeah. now, right? Uh, although the species are totally different than we are, SPF is some of the best species yeah. to build houses with, uh, either in the states or here. Yeah. Uh, southern yellow pine, uh, I usually say, uh, it tends to be very hard, very smaller than it is here, more yeah. twist, more crook. I would say you have to drill it before you nail it, yeah. you know, so, but I don't know. But, know. but but in that, you know, in that framework, and and you jump back again to August 2021, no, uh, uh, June 2021, government re- realizing that all of these closures are coming, you know, they've identified that the one solution is to grow the value-added industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so you're kind of one of the, you know, Probably the longest-standing value-added manufacturer in 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 the BC interior, anyway. Pretty much um, in, in, in in BC. So so I'm kind of curious your your thinking because I haven't heard too much with respect to what government is doing regarding value-added. Um, you know, are you know in my mind anyway, value-added is the only way that the government can sustain. Uh, you know, look proactive in sustaining jobs in the BC interior and on the coast, but yeah. especially for us in the interior. And, yeah. and knowing that maybe there might be more bad news coming, and we've been hearing it, uh, okay, you know, even in the last you know weeks and months. Yeah. Um, you know, the sawmill closures means you know less fiber supply for yourself as well. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, do you see an opportunity there or, or, or do you see uh, a little bit of fear or Greg? All, all of that in a way, uh, Rob, as you know, uh, I have, I started my company, Bring Force Products, uh, 1975, 47 years ago. And obviously I was born in Holland, working in lumber industry, right. trained as a furniture maker. And I always had this passion for, still have today, for lumber and all the things you can do with it. And uh, when I came to uh, BC in uh, 1965, uh, I wanted to build a sawmill. That's uh, what I wanted to do and then do value added in all those things that I was taught. And, uh, you know, so kind of being part of that whole history and already in 1965 the industry was in transition then it moved from river road here then called planer road yeah, yeah. where the planer mills were and there were 600 mills out in the bush and then the consolidation came in and the government legislation said you cannot cut trees unless you make chips and they made concessions to yeah. chip companies or to pulp mills that came in Pinjot's pulp, Northwood. Uh, yeah, they gave, them, they gave them security. You security. Know, uh, they, they all had pulpwood agreements. Three, for, three and, farm and, licenses. And, and, and those, those pulpwood agreements really were, were, were the agreements that backstopped the investors. Yeah. You know, they gave them, you know, if you didn't need it, great. Yeah. But, you know, th how many towns has three pulp mills like, like we have here? Really and, four, because uh, yeah, uh, I look at Northwood and they doubled yeah. the size in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah. So not many. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the other thing that they uh, then did is that that they that created change is that they said that people that wanted to harvest crown timber were obligated to get close utilization. That meant they had to have debarkers and yeah. chippers, and then the price of chips was only marginal to what it really should have been at the time, but it was all part of the negotiations yeah. to attract the capital. And a lot of those companies said, well, they can't afford it because the, the debarkers and the chippers would cost them more than the mill and they can't do it in the bush. So it then became a transition in the mid sixties uh, to uh, that continued into well late in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden where you used to have 600 sawmills, you went down to about 20 or 30, and then for today we have less than four or five yeah. in the area. And, uh, you know, so that was the transition then from River Road, Plano Road, they moved to the BCR side, and we got those mills that became the larger mills that, uh, you know, they had made chips and they made lumber, and, uh, and they were more and more owned by uh, fewer and fewer companies to where then gradually between Canfor, uh, West Fraser, Talco uh, in the north became the dominant players. Yeah. Where today, and a lot of people ask questions about that, is saying that uh, these companies that, uh, you know, that, that control all this fiber, uh, nearly b among six, six or seven companies, uh, they have 70% or 75% of the annual allowable cut uh, that they control, but they operate most of their mills in the southeastern United States or in yeah. Sweden or wherever they are. And, and, and obviously people question that in terms yeah. of how about investing in BC, you know, and uh, 
but uh, as you already said earlier, uh, you know, that it has to be viable and if they cannot be competitive, then, uh, you know, then they will not invest here. At, at uh, you know, the, I always, you know, you were talking about in terms of value added. I've always had, my viewpoint has always been that in order to have a viable value added manufacturing sector, you must have a healthy primary. The two are connected. That's why I've always said that. I always believe that. So we have that uh, with, with, with respect to, we have a fairly healthy primary sector. It's, it's maybe, you know, 10 years ago, they were probably the, the most efficient and, uh, and lowest cost producers in North America. Now Correct. it's kind of uh, changed a uh, foot and they're probably the highest cost producers, prim primarily because of, uh, you know, our logging costs have increased, our stumpage is uh, significantly higher than in the U.S. You know, so then where do, where is the opportunity then for a value-added manufacturer and, and to that's, come in? And that is the whole question, uh, Rob, and, and, the, and the correct one is when the announcement was made in terms of the intentions paper by the then Premier of the province, uh, uh, John Organ, uh, and the Minister of Forest, uh, Catherine Conroy, uh, they made the announcement uh, of the intentions paper, which was, as you were saying, modernizing the industry, and uh, both uh, in terms of First Nations and in terms of uh, the value-added sector and, and, and uh, uh, as well. And, uh, you know, then I was one of the persons speaking on on, uh, in regards to forest, the forest industry and the First Nations in regards to them and then labor in regards to labor. Those were the three people speaking. What I said, in my opinion, is that the future of the industry is innovative primary in, in combination with intensive secondary. And, and then what does that look like is that where the mills are getting smaller, more technology involved, more robotics and all the other technology, by the t when they feel that this is the right place to invest again, that's what they, how they will invest. That's what the primary mills will look like in the future. In my opinion, they will employ less people. In terms of the value-added sector, what I believe is that's where the opportunities are because I believe that, the, again, looking forward in terms of how do we extract the highest value from our fiber is that from a primary uh, manufacturing perspective, I believe the lowest 25% or up to 50% of the lumber today manufactured in dimension lumber will go up the value chain. That is 25% of the lower quality and 25% of the higher volume of, of this beautiful fiber that we have will go up the value chain. Those could be primaries that do that on their own more likely it would be a strategic relationship between primaries and innovative secondaries, or it could be just secondaries, where they are buying from, at market price, from the, the primaries fiber, in this case lumber mainly, to, uh, to, to be able to build infrastructure, and a lot of times tens of hundred millions of dollars, even in secondary manufacturing, there has to be a reasonable expectation of access to fiber. And if they don't have, no different than it is for the pulp mills at the time or the lumber mills at the time that got tenure 
meaning having access to fiber perpetually. Yeah. So your definition of value added then, you said, you know, 25%, you know, lower grade, like the, the perception of the, the, the primary industry is, is that we're already getting our maximum value added uh, from the forests in, in the form of construction lumber. And, and that's why most of it ships, whether to China. Fantastic. So, so your, your perception of what's, when you're talking about value added, is it, you know, you could argue that paper is value added or pulp is value added. I, I agree. I'm, I'm suggesting, but I'm talking about is more of the lumber. The, the uh, in terms of uh, pulp and paper is more as a result of chips and or uh, you know residuals produced by the primary and secondary manufacturing. We as a secondary manufacturer sell our pulp, uh, our chips to the pulp mills and, and so to get the highest value from that uh, from chips we could say well in order for chips to survive we should put whole logs into the chippers and run it into chips. We did that at, at times Sometimes, and yeah. still sometimes do it now uh, where it is, uh, you know, pulp wood that uh, of the of the lesser quality. Uh, yeah. I said to get the the best return and to create the jobs. Up opportunity is mainly in the, the lumber, lumber value added manufacturing. So you're thinking, exactly. you know, the furniture or or well, your your, your specialty is finger joining, but uh, that is only one example. Yeah. It could be anything that is under the category of mass timber. Yeah, yeah. We want to build a plant that does CLT. DLT, that all of that will change, you know, at, at once in the middle. But you don't have any tenure, so how are you going to get the fiber? Right now, most of the, those, that lumber is going to the U.S. or in the low China. grade is China. In particular to China. You know, the government has, has put a lot of money into marketing of lumber, in particular in Asia. Now, you know, with all due respect to my friends in China, uh, they are bottom feeders. So they bought all the low grades in yeah. British Columbia. They all go to China. Do they pay more? No, they're not paying more. It's simply because with one phone call, you can sell three months worth of production to China. It's lot, it's as simple as that, you know. And, and, uh, but, but if you are a value-added manufacturer, can you not then do the same just to out-compete uh, or, or, or purchase the lumber from the majors here and under, under long-term contracts? Or, or Yes. The difference, uh, uh, Rob, to me is that it is my view that access to timber is a privilege. It belongs to you and me, the people, and with it goes a social contract that you have obligations, uh, call it a prudency, uh, you know, that which basically in my mind is the social contract. It is to the benefit of the companies that have the privilege of having renewable licenses forever and ever called tenure and that the more value they can add regionally and locally to that fiber would be in their benefit, especially uh, you know, if they uh, sitting in communities yeah. like McKinsey, uh, Fort St. James, and all the communities that we know, to take that timber and haul it out of there, not even have secondary manufacturing, is uh, because, the, you know, that even secondary manufacturing, if they want to invest, they must have reasonable ex uh, access to, uh, yeah. expectation of access to fiber. So there's a few of the majors that are doing that, like, you know, Sinclair, they've got their uh, Winton Homes, 
uh, Gorman, they've got some value added. Klesnikov's probably yeah, other uh, ones. Other ones do too, uh, and, and I like the guys from Enton Homes. Yeah. I knew Bob and Ivan. Uh, I've known her from the beginning, and yeah. uh, you but, know, but but newcomers we, we, we build yeah. we build houses too. That's yeah, not necessarily yeah. value added. But right. newcomers, though, into the field, which is I think the government's perspective is you know you get these smaller communities where you might yeah. have. Uh, uh, you know, whether it's mill closures or, or, or curtailments or, or shift reductions, um, you know, if you're a newcomer, and or how do you inspire or, or incentivize, uh, um, you know, an investor to support investment of, I don't know, 50, 100 million dollars into a plant when, uh, when you, you don't have access to uh, secure It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's simply not going to happen. You must have reasonable expectations of access to fiber. The first question of a banker, if you want to invest, no, no matter what the idea may be in terms of value-added products that you can do, and, and there's a whole mass of them that you can do. Yeah. Because the one thing that we have, the quality of fiber here is unique to the rest of the world. A good example, I'm not saying that everybody should do IKEA, but IKEA, and I worked in Sweden and in Holland, and we imported a lot of, a lot of wood, and as you well know, uh, the, the wood there is very similar to ours here, and, uh, you know, and, and they built an unbelievable business. Uh, it was not all that long ago you know, that uh, I was the founding president, uh, chair actually, of the Woodworks Initiative in Canada. There were two pilot projects, one in Prince George and yeah. then one in Quebec. And I was the chair here. And the amazing thing was that, uh, you know, we brought all these people from around the world over here to buy our lumber. And, and you know, what's the first thing they said when they came to the airport? If you think your wood is so good, you're not even using any wood. Yeah. And it was only then that we started to use wood, you know, because it looked good. It was what we manufactured, not even thinking in terms of, of the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, that it is good for the, 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 the footprint, you know, the, uh, uh, and, and uh, it was as simple as that my daughter studied architecture at, at UBC and, uh, you know, and then I was quite involved with foreign techs. Well, the problem was they, they never, the NGS never learned about connections. Yeah, yeah. It was just not part of the as simple as that. And since that time, more and more Woodworks now is very popular throughout Canada, United States spread all yeah. over. And, and now the question becomes, if for government, we build something, the first question is, why not use wood? And, and so I think that is good. And that's kind of what will happen. The culture of uh, favors the wood, you know, user of wood. And, and it applies to all the things that we do. And, uh, you know, in, in mass timber, uh, cross-laminated timber, we want to build a 17-story building here on Victoria Street. We want to use CLT to do that. We're going to do that. Mm. 17 stories. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we want to make it here. And we can make it here. But I cannot make it if... Uh, if uh, you know, the, the position of, and, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I've been in, in all, virtually all the meetings that Kofi, I'm the vice chair of Kofi, amazingly. So what's, but, what's Kofi's position? In the, in well, yeah, that's the, a good the, question that's that a you tough one, probably, that. because uh, they, they've got, 
their fingers into the lumber, the value-added, uh, pulp and paper? How can I'm one of the few value-added companies that's sitting on the board. I'm the longest-serving director on the board, and at the same time, I'm the vice chair. You know, so, uh, but I, I've said to them that when they started negotiating uh, on the direction of government, that we, we have to try, what can we do to have primaries and secondaries work closer together? And, and that was the mandate, and there have been numerous of meetings. But so far, the I say right away when I'm in those meetings where the secondaries are involved and the primaries are involved, or even when I'm at Kofi, is I'm talking about the value-added sector. I will not be the Kofi guy that kowtows along yeah. with the, the, with all due respect, with the primaries. I'm not, I, I believe that that's where the future is. I deeply believe in it. I worked my whole life and fought the battles to to make that come true, and I, that's what I do. So what should be their position, and what is their position? So far it is the position, uh, and again, hopefully that will change at some point, but uh, you know, the, the majors are really not partaking in it uh, all that much, or not at all, uh, for all intents and purposes, and there's some of the ones that are doing, uh, you know, and not naming any particular names. Basically, I've taken a position, nobody, uh, uh, you know, nobody gets timber that is my timber. I say, stop. It's not your timber. It's our yeah, timber. Yeah. You know, then, and... But it's their lumber. And so, yeah. so I guess and, their and position... And then the second one is, nobody's going to tell me where I'm going to sell my lumber, no matter how much money you want to pay me. And if that is the position, then I said, okay, well, that's the position then. Hmm. Then the question becomes, do we want to have value-added manufacturing, which clearly adding much more value, would be a benefit to the primary sector, in fact, substantial benefit, then that has to be, you cannot say that you want perpetually use of the timber at competitive prices, and then at the same time deny the same to a secondary manufacturing that is investing also tens if not yeah. hundreds of millions of but dollars. In the late or mid 90s, we had the Small Business Force Enterprise Program. And I was we had, involved in that. And yeah. we had a, a section of the that program where- About 20% of the AAC. Uh, went to value-added manufacturers. Right. That all uh, disappeared effectively in around 2002. Yeah, with, uh, with the, the Campbell government yeah. that then eliminated that and made it, uh, and I don't want to go into- uh, but, I know that there was a but, lot of but, problems. The, the, the one we, was, we were heavily was involved designated to yeah. the value-added sector, and the other were, yeah. the primaries could not bid on it, but other ones that were loggers and others yeah. that were indirectly associated with them could. And for, for a while, though, there were a lot of jobs, a lot of factories and, and oh, positions. I, absolutely. But I think the problem with it was that they were leveraging the value from the sale of the logs to, to support their, their there business There were flaws plans. in the program, yeah. Rob. Basically, the, the concept was good, and it was me that was yeah. driving it to a lot of extent. I was the founding president of the BC Council Value-Added Wood Processors, eight associations through the province, 800 members. Yeah. Of those, two-thirds are gone. And the reason that they are gone is part of the 2003 changes to legislation was, uh, you know, A, it was uh, uh, removing, uh, you know, the small business program. Yeah, BC Timber Sales replaced it. Yeah, uh, yeah BC Timber Sales. And then the other one indirectly was that was affected by it is government spent a whole lot of money on finding new markets for lumber 
which was heavily vested in, in, in China, but the Chinese are not buying dimension lumber. They're not building houses like we are. So they were buying pretty much all the low-grade lumber on which the second days had to be. Nothing to do with price. Price was not the issue, but simply it was all sold to them. Mm-hmm. That eliminated a lot. And the other thing that really destroyed a lot of people in the secondary manufacturing sector, when I was involved right up to 2007, you know, we, I, and, and me being involved as the representative of secondary manufacturing, negotiating with the Canadian government and the Americans about softwood lumber, duty was paid on a first mill basis on the raw material that would go into a secondary manufacturing plant. That yeah. worked for maintaining secondary man. Although they sh- the, the issue was with the Americans that timber is being subsidized. If it is or it isn't, that was their argument. Yeah. Still is today. And but the result of it was that the government and then the people that negotiated the deal, BC Lumber Trade Council, forgot about secondary yeah, manufacturing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, what happened then, the second days got hit by 20% duty, and it destroyed a yeah. lot more. Hence, what has happened is that uh, two-thirds of the second day manufacturers are gone. So looking forward then for government, well, I see, for, for a secondary manufacturer to come in and invest, they need access to fiber, and they need it from the lumber guys. Effectively, but the problem is the lumber guys don't want to sell it to them under long-term contracts, which, which is what the bankers would want to see. You see, they don't want; they will sell it to them on a truck-to-truck basis. Yeah, yeah. But they don't want to be committed at longer-term contracts to viable companies. Yeah. I'm not saying to anybody. So, so, for government to step in, the only you know, I guess it's sort of like what they did before. Um, they provide access to fiber, access to logs, and then the and the the, That's the value added. The value-added guys would use that as leverage for longer-term agreements. That's with precisely the what it is, Rob, and that's what it was then, in the late '80s, early '90s, when I was involved yeah. in it. Is the situation was exactly the same as it is today. We want more value-added manufacturing, but uh, there is a reluctance on the parts that have uh, the mills that have access to the fiber to make a commitment in yeah. terms of. Uh, fiber uh, to second days. But anything along, I can see where the majors would be against that whole business because right now they have acts, they have control over a larger pot of, uh, so anything that you know results in less control on their part is, is, so, is viewed negatively, probably by Kofi and, and which yeah. is why they seem to be silent. Kofi, and then but, I say, hey guys, if, if, if I'm going to be in those meetings, do not look at me as a yeah. member of Kofi. I'm a second-day manufacturer in northern British Columbia. I'm one of the few ones left here. There used to be 50 second-day manufacturing plants in northern BC, and I was the president of the associations here. By today, yeah. uh, there are less than three or four. And, and uh, you know, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm standing up for them, and I'm saying no. You know, that uh, there is a huge opportunity and, uh, uh, you know, uh, for communities and, uh, you know, so what I'm saying to the primaries is that what, wh- why would you not support this? Because I don't know any secondary manufacturers that would build a sawmill. 
What would happen with the volume, no different than in the 90s, is that the timber may be made available to secondary manufacturers so they have something to bring to the table because usually what we get if we sit down with a primary in a lot of cases and, and we are always at risk as a company, uh, you know, then uh, they said, okay, well, you want to buy a lumber, we can prove that we credit worthy right. and all of those kind of things. And then they say, what's in it for us? Yeah, you're kind of more of an irritant uh, for the size and scope of the thing. Rather, you know, if you, you, you ship it off to China, it's one huge order. Um, one phone call. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in your, well, maybe not yourself because you're longer and larger and established, but you get a small uh, value-add manufacturer. They, you know, they're maybe specific with respect to, well, we don't want SPF. We just want the pine or we just want the spruce or we want a certain grade. And, and so it becomes, they, they become more of an irritant for the majors. Yeah. I try so, not to do that. Yeah. And my relationships, and I have a relationship with all of them, the bigger ones, my relationships with them are seamless. You know, I adapt myself to what they have. But I'm thinking the other guys. Let's say yeah. you, know, you, you get some guy who wants to build coffins. and uh, That's all good. You know, it, it, uh, it <laughs> but we have, uh, you know, we have other small... And uh, growers of forest or, or uh, tree farm licenses that that uh, you know or uh, that that they can deal with them, but you have to adapt yourself to if you go to Canfrey and say, uh, "Hey, Don Kane, uh, I want to," you know that that doesn't quite fit yeah. them, you know. But there is other ways of ac still accessing it. If we have, uh, you know, so what I'm saying in our situation would be a little bit different because we would say to them. Uh, you know, now we have a volume to make available to us, like in our case, we have an operation in Prince George, we have one in Vanderhoof, one in Houston, uh, you know, we in, employ and on the normal conditions close to 400 people, and we want to double in size. We want to start a mat, uh, cross-laminated timber plant, we do want to do more uh, 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 value-added manufacturing in different areas, and yeah. that's what we want to do. So right now it's kind of sit and wait uh, and see if uh, the government puts the policies and regulations in place to, uh, to now give, becomes, give you the leverage, I guess. To But to, I would say, Rob, and I would say that to my friends uh, you know, the, uh, from the major companies, is I would say to them that I believe as we go forward, if it is John Brink, if it is the value-added manufacturers down south and in the, in the Kootenays, the Ken Kalesnikovs and, and, and all of those people, the pressure will not disappear. There's no question in my mind about that. That if the, if the major companies decide, or the companies decide to invest again, there will be more technology, there will be more robotics, there will be less money, right. uh, less people involved. And there be more and more uh, people that saying, "I want to get involved in in secondary manufacturing, but I don't have access to fiber. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to sell to me. It's nothing to do with price. Yeah, yeah. In fact, to the contrary, uh, you know, the prices are printed on a weekly basis and random length. We would buy from our fellow producers at any time at those levels, yeah, yeah. but it's not available to us because they uh, will sell it in China." 
because it only takes one phone call and it's as simple as that. The other one is when uh, they are negotiating for uh, making marketing deals elsewhere that never includes the value added sector. Is BC Lumber Trade Council yeah. is uh, 10 companies of which five are the majors that are invested elsewhere. They are part of it and they get about $10 million or try to get about $10 million from the federal government, provincial governments, and, and uh, secondary manufacturers are not benefiting from that at all. To sell dimension lumber, they're not going to buy it in China, some of it maybe, but it's mainly low-grade lumber. Mm -hmm. and, and, and now, uh, in the same with uh, software lumber negotiations, uh, where at one point, second days, like myself in particular, was part of the negotiations right up to 2007, not now. You know, government totally forgot about including, it, it's as simple as that, that during the negotiations, and I talked to the people that were on the table negotiating federal government, I said, how come that secondary manufacturers were not involved and their ideas were not put forward. I said, but, but what was the agenda that you presented to the, uh, to the federal government? They and probably forgot to, about you. They said, uh, they said it was the Kofi. Yeah, uh, position. Uh, and, and, and I said, uh, and what was the Kofi uh, you know, suggestion on the part of secondaries? He said, they didn't have yeah, one. Yeah. As simple, yeah. as simple as that. Cost hundreds and thousands of jobs. That's what makes me angry about it. And that's why I get upset about it. And, uh, you know, and that's why I think that, uh, and, and uh, to my friends, uh, you know, in the Council of Forest Industry and of the industry people, uh, you know, that if we go forward, it was this unbelievable treasure that we have in the province of British Columbia and in Canada, then, and something that will come back, I believe, uh, you know, and, and all the things that you told us in terms of what we're doing on the, on the forest ground base, we, that will come back and uh, maybe not quite in our lifetimes, but 30, 40 years from now, it will be yeah. back to those same levels, there's no question. Or even higher, yeah. Or yeah. even higher. That's what happened in Sweden, you know. Yeah. They went through the same thing and came back much higher, much, much bigger, and, and they changed the whole industry. The same will happen in BC. I was hoping it would happen now where we as, uh, as the primary sector would say, let's take a different direction here and let's recognize that uh, secondary manufacturing, uh, the independent secondary manufacturing is beneficial to us. It employs more people in terms of, of providing lower grade lumber that we now dump into China. We could sell that to them at market rates. Yeah. Then yeah. that would be a good thing so, for but us. It, it, you know, I guess, Coming back to that intentions paper, it's still on the agenda for government. They've yeah. identified that. You yeah. know, we have a new premier yeah. in a few months, hopefully. Now, uh, already, yeah, I okay. think he already is affected. So, so, you know, it remains to be seen then whether or not he follows through on the, you know, previous intentions, uh, you know, and, and but it's still been a little over a year since they brought out that, uh, you know, th those initial uh, you know, comments or, or their philosophy. So will they actually move forward with that? As agenda? you know, and as I know, you know, that, uh, you know, you spend your life in the industry 
and working in all the areas that you already said, working closely with experts in the field around the world, really, and in Canada and in BC, being relied on for the opinions that you have, together with some of the other people that are peers of you, yeah. that prepare the documents for, for government, yeah. that this will not go away. And I yeah. wish that the industry would acknowledge that and government had the courage because otherwise it will become a road not taken. Yeah. And what will happen next, in my opinion, is what we now have is companies that have lots of fiber under, uh, under their tenure. The next ones, not so much. And the ones that have less than half and below that will be in danger. And I believe those are the next ones that will be disappearing. And the reason is very simple, because there is not enough fiber available for the primaries. If you have 75, 80, 90 percent of the timber from the crown, which is the lowest cost, no matter yeah. what, and, and, and I have 40 percent and I have to buy 60 percent incremental volume that you are trying to get as well, then you can, do, you can pay double the price for that and spread it over the rest, and I cannot yeah, compete yeah. against you. And, and that's the thing that really worries me about it. And that's why I'm saying that take the approach of that, uh, you know, that we, we will not, the timber belongs to us, even the wood that is incremental, the value added sector already yeah. we negotiated it in 1990. 20% of the AEC, between around 12 million cubic meters annually, was dedicated to the software lumber, to secondary manufacturing. Yeah. The, the, the program had flaws and was taken advantage of, but that was not, the concept was the same as it is now. I would think that, and then if the, the secondary, it would be dedicated to secondary manufacturing, then it would allow them to interact with the primaries. And then at the same time, what I say to the primaries, the wood is not disappearing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the yeah, same yeah, as yeah. First Nations. Yeah. That, you know, I don't, I, and, and by law that was required, but I don't think, you know, what is the, the, the problem with that? Because the wood is still available, especially second-name manufacturers. First Nations, they can decide to put it in the market or not in the market, but device thing to would, would put it in the market, but that's their business. But second-name manufacturers, that's why they have the wood. They want to have it in the marketplace. So what I'm saying yeah. to them, it's not disappearing. Simply Still going to the primaries, it's just, uh, it's like you said, I guess it, it's access to fiber, but nobody's going to invest significantly in, you know, in value added as, no. as far as a newcomer without that. And, and we've, we've done it's the same kind of due diligence analysis for the pulp mills or, or, or you know, the pellet facilities or various sawmills here. Ultimately, the bankers are always interested in what's your fiber supply and, exactly. and, and, and what's the fiber security and what are the threats. Yeah. And, you know, consequently, that's probably why, the, you know, the, the threats are, are fairly significant and the majors, ha you know, have access capital. So they're putting it where it's safer, which is the U.S. So and I understand that. But uh, but if for the small guys, you know, they see an opportunity here, they're not going to invest in they'll, unless they, the, the situation exists where they, where they can come to. Uh, you know, to my even you know consultants like myself, and say, well, this is our, our business plan. Here's the the access to fiber that we have that supports the business plan, and then we put together a report that uh, backstops their investment thesis for the bankers, uh, unless that you know 
regula regulation, the regulations ex uh, are, are modified, that won't happen, you know, that, yeah. so it really remains to be seen here in the next uh, year or two, but if the not sooner. But I say Kofi, although I'm the vice chair and the longest serving director, Kofi is looked at as a leader. It can be a leader in saying, okay, let's step up to the plate because this is not going yeah. away. John Blank may go away and other people that speak up may be going away, but it is not going away. And I believe, but I like to see the industry is unique in British Columbia. And although we have challenges today because of uh, the annual albacate and mills have disappeared and extremely unfortunate, but in the meantime, we can do things together. What I like to see is primaries and secondaries working together and then saying to government, what can we do together to be more effective and efficient. You know, for them to find, uh, to dump all the low grades into China, not a good idea, you know, and, and it should not have happened, especially not funded by governments. The other one in terms of forgetting totally about secondary manufacturing or not caring one way or the other, yeah. so that the more value you add, the more duties you have to pay, even though you're not even having timber, you know, but not necessary and yeah. it shows that in my opinion is that we have to say, yeah, we have to change. And, and if it doesn't happen or if the government does not have the guts to, I hope they do and I believe they do, you know, or, uh, you know, then it will be just a question of delaying it and hoping that another government come out uh, and they will then uh, make changes that will even further create consolidation and, 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 and ignore the needs of others that would like to have access, I believe strategically is a mistake. Yeah. And that's what I've said all along and that's what I still say today. I may, on Monday I can make get fired as the vice president of, uh, vice chair of Kofi. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, I'm just being funny, but uh, you know, the, but I, I believe uh, honestly from the bottom of my heart, that's uh, where the future is and uh, Northern British Columbia in particular, uh, you know, that we used to have between 40 and 50 secondary manufacturing plants. Today we have three or four and I'm not sure if they're going to be here uh, in the next few years and, uh, you know, and, 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 and considering uh, you know, the value added uh, opportunities and then the access to fiber, relatively speaking to the rest of the province, be probably better off, correct me if I'm wrong, in terms of uh, reductions of the TSA, particularly McKinsey and further north and, and uh, the Prince and the lakes may be marginal, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, uh, but be better off than most areas in the province. Is that so? It, uh, yeah, we have, uh, we've got some headwinds in front of us with respect to, you know, short-term changes. Yeah. Uh, you know, lakes will be fairly significant uh, because they're just half of their diet of logs is dead wood. And, you know, yeah. Prince George, they, they, you know, actually it was just uh, the next, uh, a few days ago, I think the uh, allowable cut uh, dropped again for Prince George. Uh, Mackenzie's will drop again uh, probably by a million cubic meters. but. You know, most of the mills have kind of juggled already. You know, there might be some pressures in the near term, though. Yeah, but the largest TSAs are McKinsey and Prince George. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
you know the uh, but uh, I still believe uh, you know strongly uh, Rob uh, you know that I still believe in in the, the future of uh, I love Canada I love BC I love the forest industry and I still think that that in in the medium to long term uh, you know the 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 volumes will come back exceed probably where we are and uh, and that the industry will change and that uh, uh, you know, we will have a vibrant industry that does uh, uh, manufacturing, but also has a, a very, very strong yeah. independent value-added sector in combination with the uh, primary sector. And that's kind of what I believe will happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I know I've invested in the forest industry just in, and as long as they're harvesting, then they're replanting and uh, yeah. And the number, the outlook for the reforestation business is uh, is pretty positive still. So yeah, so what I'm hoping to do, and you were my first guest on, uh, you know, the uh, uh, on the brink uh, podcasting from Prince George, uh, the uh, uh, BC forest industry in transition, and I'm hoping to in interview a number of different uh, people, including primaries that maybe have different ideas than I have, and uh, you know, and have a discussion with them. And I hope then through that, uh, and that's why I'm so pleased to have you as uh, you know one of the foremost experts in the field uh, uh, as my first guest. Uh, you know that the public in general will understand it because at the end of the day, it's their chamber, it's their future, yeah, yeah. and uh, I think it's very important. Well, thank you very much for having Rob, me. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, John. Thank you.